Hello, fellow travelers, and welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel. I'm your host, Sam Fain, and I am so excited uh, to talk about the family treasure with Shakina, the writer of the episode, uh, producer on Quantum Leap. Shakina, thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy to be with you, Sam. Yay. Um, so th this uh, episode is one that I'm excited to talk about for many reasons. Uh, the the adventure, uh, sort of, you know, pulpy adventure aspect of it. Um, obviously, the character of Dean and the importance of, of their uh, uh, moment in particular uh, in the episode. Um, but before we actually get to the episode proper, I would just love to take a moment and sort of hear about your feelings on season two as a whole, especially after coming back, you know, from the, the layoff with the strike and getting started. And now this is the second episode produced post strike. Um, so what has that whole journey been like for you? Um, you know, shooting all of these episodes immediately after season one before the strike and now coming back again? Well, yeah, starting there, it was wild to not get a break between between seasons one and two. You know, we had two weeks off for Christmas and the holidays, and then that was it. So so it was really like I just um, finished last week. We just wrapped season uh, the, the season finale. So I have been working basically nonstop on Quantum Leap, aside from the strike, for a year and three quarters, I guess. You know, I don't know, a long time. Um, and, but the strike was um brutal i mean it was yeah. really really hard to be without our um community without our work uh and without our connection so i think everyone was really excited to be back i was a little intimidated because my episode that i had brought to outline for originally what was going to be episode 209 got tossed when we came back from the strike so i had literally no time to come up with this episode they moved me to 210 but i literally had a week in the room and a week to write basically and then we um we had to have a script to to in order to get the episode shot in time um oh we were on a really compressed timeline so it was a really different experience from let them play last year when i also got my episode pushed from two from 111 to 112 but that was because the studio and network and the showrunners wanted to be so sensitive with the material. We knew we were telling a trans story and it was like our first time out the gate with it. So we ended up taking a lot of time to really massage that story and get clearances on the things we were saying and doing and how and why and getting support from Glad. And this time we were like, we have two weeks. We want it to be a treasure hunt and there's gotta be a non-binary character, go. And I was like, <laughs> yes, crack, like let's get into it. So um, it was really, I just gotta say like, Big ups to Dean for um, guiding me through so much of it and doing like major rewrites with me on it in the short timeline that we had. And Adrita, who was also producing with me on set and helping me refine as we were going. And Jude Wang, who directed and the cast. Like there were so many collaborative components to, to getting this script ready and shot. Um, so I was kind of like one of those, it was one of those writing experiences where the writing is more like shepherding all the good ideas you know not just yeah. like me alone like my typewriter like making something it was like okay everyone's putting in input and i have to sift and sort and make it happen and i i'm so proud of what we came up with yeah oh that, i love that i mean the collaboration is one of my favorite things so hearing about that process mm -hmm. is always exciting um yeah now i i had heard also that like <clears throat> in the writer's room um, and just kind of as your duties as a producer that you've you've had more of a role as kind of kind of like you know, helping to bring everything together in general, like even on episodes that you're not necessarily writing. Can you talk a little bit about your role in that and, and, and how that's worked? 
Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I think um, it, probably every writer's room is different depending on how the showrunners like to work with things. And I know in our show, you, there's a lot of shared labor when it comes to breaking story, which I think is so great. Um, so Martin and Dean have been really awesome with like the best idea will win and, and wherever it comes from, you know, will we'll come forward. Um, I think for my personal place in the in the room and in the storytelling, you know, I think on one hand, you know, I think people really lean on me for understanding in and like a window into a trans point of view and that our one of our series regulars has um, in this particular episode and in Let Them Play because of the like trans specific themes, I was also given a more, you know, free reign to uh, weigh in. But I, um, what I love about TV writing and producing is that um, it's all writing. Like the props are writing, the, the set pieces are writing, the art direction is writing, the costumes are writing. It's, if it's not in the script, then the designers are coming to you asking for clarification and then you're working with them to make it true to, for the script. So it's so much more than like just putting words on a page. It's actually being able to communicate with every other creative decision maker on set and in the production office about what's needed to bring it to life. And that's, that's so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. So here's a question. What do you think yeah. makes you a good communicator? Well, I mean, my training, I think, uh, you know, I was trained in community organizing and also uh, trained as a director um, in the theater. So I'm really good at working with lots of different personalities um so yeah and and also i think there's like you know nothing more subversive than an artful command of language so when you need to know how to shift a dynamic you know it's really good to be able to meet people where they're at and like get people on the same page and you know uh rally the troops so to speak and that's what so much of this work is so I don't know. I don't know if you heard like things about me specifically in the working room, but like I, I definitely am uh, really trying to keep things, um, you know, uh, aspirational. I, I, I like yeah. working in a good environment. Well, I mean, just, I mean, honestly, like even, even following you on social media and seeing the way that you do try to communicate on, on everyone's level, even people that sometimes I think it would be easy to just kind of say, you know, you don't deserve to, 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 to get that. But I, but it seems like that, you know, I mean, you, you are, uh, you know, open to, to being able to communicate. And I think that that's incredibly important for any, for any artist and certainly for anyone who's, you know, like you said, a community organizer and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I don't know. I just wanted to, I, I just, I felt like it might be a fun question to ask and, and get your take on and I think that what you said too about being a director in theater it is so incredibly important because that I mean you have to be able to unify everything otherwise you've got a show where something looks out of place and it can just bring everything down just that one thing yeah well there's there's the aesthetic right and how to achieve the aesthetic and then there is the community and how to achieve the community and because it's a collaborative art form like there needs to be a sense of shared investment in the storytelling and what I've come to learn from my work in the, in theater and film and television is like, oh, even when the money's great and the money's not often great, but what, but even when it is, the work is still really, 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 really hard. And like, um, and if it's not like the only way to will oneself to do this kind of creative work is because like, there's a love 
to to the making of it. And everyone puts a little bit of themselves in it from literally from like the grips and the dolly operators to the designers, to the star actors. Like everyone is pouring a little bit of their own blood, sweat and tears into this thing. And so the ways we feel valued matter, you know? And, um, and so, so much of, I think being a good director or a good producer or a good communicator, or whatever is making sure that not only are people aligned on what we have to achieve in the creative vision, but also that everyone feels valued. And so if there are situations that come up when personalities clash or needs converge or whatever, like the the real skill set is and the conflict management around that is like how to get people back on board in a way where everyone still feels like their input you know, matters and, um, and is appreciated and appreciation is free. You know what I'm saying? So like (laughs) that part's easy. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm understudying a show right now. And I think that that is one of the things that our director has done so successfully is, 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 is made, you know, in, in my position, sometimes it's an unenviable one to be in, quite frankly, and you don't necessarily get that appreciation or that input. But I mean, she's done a remarkable job of, of, of you know, making, uh, you know, making me feel included and making you know, me feel like my voice matters too when we're doing table work and that sort of stuff. And so it's just awesome. like to have that seat at the table is, is incredibly important and to feel appreciated. Like you said, it's, it's, it's a free thing to do. And sometimes people yeah. have a really hard time giving it, though. Um, yeah. So to, to speak a little bit more specifically to the family treasure, uh, yeah. knowing that you had a treasure hunt, that that was going to be a part of the episode, did you have any influences at all or anything that you drew from um, that inspired the story? Yeah. So Dean and Martin pitched me on Romancing the Stone. They came to me and said, we want something that's like Romancing the Stone. We have Mexico Town. We could shoot it right on the lot. And, and ideally that we'd have like a non-binary character in it. And I, I loved Romancing the Stone. Um, when I was a kid, I watched it a bunch with my family. It was like all a classic VHS rental. But my mind went right away to Indiana Jones. Actually, the original title for this episode was Bendy and the Jones. Yeah. And so <laughs> I went right there. And, I also, and also Boonies, because I wanted to capture that like teen adolescent vibe. Yeah. And then a little bit of like adventures in babysitting and honestly, finding Ohana, which is so great because Jude Wang ended up directing the episode, and that's like a you know Jude Wang directed that film. Um, but I, so I knew that I, I, I had deep in my blood the reference points for what makes an iconic, like adolescent aspirational treasure hunt. You know, like that. I was like, cool. I've seen those movies enough, and I, I love them, and I've lived them, and you know everything to Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Like, there's sort of like there's just a, a way that these stories need momentum and clue finding and, and misdirects and, um, and character clashes and all those things. So that was my reference point. And then the first thing that came to me were the clues, actually. I, I kind of came up with the, before I even knew what the story was, I started thinking about um, the, the path well-concealed, mm-hmm. Snakes Underground, Hide the Shamrock Key, Uh, a turn for every season of Guadalupe's flower. And I started like coming up with this. I don't know why it was St. Patrick even, um, (laughs) the cursed treasure of San Patricio, but like just this crazy mythology that I wanted to feel so Indiana Jonesy and have these really historically accurate, but, but also totally fantastic reference points. And, you know, so yeah, it was all of that. um, All that came to me first. And I came back to the writer's room after getting the sort of mandate from on high. And I was like, (laughs) cool. 
I don't know the story, but here are the clues. And I like gave everyone the clues and was like, let's figure out what the story is. That's awesome. I love it. I think yeah. so much of that comes through. And I, I was definitely thinking of after watching it, I, I, the Goonies vibe was certainly one that I picked up on too. And I was, it, because obviously all the other stuff that you mentioned fits so perfectly, but there was something about it that spoke to me at that, in that same way, I think. Uh, and, and the clues certainly had a lot to do with that as well. Um, speaking of which, I love the clues so much. Uh, I love that they're kind of these bad dad puns in, in a lot of yeah. ways uh, which works perfectly i think shamrock might be my favorite one <laughs> um, um can you talk a little bit about the idea to have those clues hidden in you know the inheritance that was given to the children because it's i i just really loved that aspect of it and the fact mm -hmm. that it, it you know it does mm -hmm. kind of come out accidentally right that that, that had you know yeah. bottled up and broken maybe we wouldn't even know that those clues were there Right. I mean, I think the way I imagine the story is that the dad knew, dad knew that dad was going to give this, these, this treasure to his kids, but he had to make sure they would use it right, share it right, you know, like that it would, that like, it was like this, almost like this whole quest is a values test first, you know, mm -hmm. um, about working together and like making it through this hard journey. And if they could do that, then they could they would be, you know, qualified to receive this inheritance and be trusted to manage it well. And that's sort of like the, the fantasy that I imagine is like part of the backstory to it. And I love that because it's, yeah, it's like, you know, we go through these hoops and hurdles in life to sort of prove our worthiness when sometimes like um, it's all already there for you. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love that, too. And I think that and not to jump around too much, but one of the things that I did love so much is that, you know, they go through all of this and then they find the treasure chest and they open it up and it's empty. Um, yeah. It, well, except for the the next clue, really. Um, mm -hmm. And that, it, you know, it was about them finding things within themselves and, and together as opposed to you know, getting rich at the end of, of, of the rainbow. And I, I really I, I did enjoy that a lot because I think that uh we do get so wrapped up especially in this society in in, in just kind of like grabbing that brass ring and jumping through That's whatever hoops right. that we have to to get to that and so little time is spent on recognizing that all of the work that we do along the way you know helps to inform who we are and and also the people that we choose to you know to call our family um and so i i i enjoyed that aspect of it a great deal because it it cool it, well, because I think that it didn't make the family aspect of it just feel sort of like cliched or, or saccharine or anything. It was something that you had to work for. And I think that yeah. that's something that we lose sight of sometimes is like family is something that you do have to work for. You don't it's not just something you can take for granted. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's when it's what you make of it. It's like what you put in is what you get out when it comes to family. You know, totally. Yeah. I, I, yes. Yes. Um, speaking of which, we have three very distinct personalities. And obviously, we don't necessarily get to know Nadia too well because, mm -hmm. you know, Ben is there instead. But I do love yeah. that we get a lot of information about Nadia through uh, Sarah and Dean as well, which is lovely yeah, yeah. because it's it's like, you know, even if the character's not on stage, what people say about that character you know, brings them to life. Um, yeah. So when kind of, when, when forming this, I had heard that initially there was actually a fourth sister. Is that true? Yeah. So originally I wanted to tell a story of like, yeah, these four sisters, it was really a three sister story. Uh, and, and Ben was sort of like witness and guide to these three other characters that we had created. And then in the sort of last minute change, like really down to the wire night before we started shooting, 
we had to adjust to make it a two character, like a, a, yeah. But I think it was actually the way it was supposed to be all along. You know, like once yeah. we made the edit to the script the night that before shooting, it was like, oh, this is great. It all it works so well. It's so fast. It's so clean. And I had I loved the sort of um, ensemble of sisterhood that we had created when we had Ben and two other sisters and a non-binary sibling. It really felt like you know a whole cohort but um when we lost a sibling uh and we condensed the story it just allowed us to get deeper and uh, and closer you know to both dean and sarah and holly and wilder are like incredible actors and it just was so delicious to get to see them bring the material to life so it all kind of worked out but it was definitely like oh and honestly i will say i mean i feel really badly for the actor who we had cast to then was no longer able to come in and do the role but like in that last minute, oh, we have eight hours till we start shooting and we have to completely write the script and cut a character. I was like, I love this shit. Like, I was just like, <laughs> you know, that is TV making to me. Yeah. That is like what it is. So, yeah. Were there any other changes that, that happened along the way? Were you doing any, you know, rewrites like, you know, while the episode was, was shooting? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, so much of the language around Dean's name and identity, we were like, doing like live on set and being like, okay, is this a dead naming moment? Should we name this character correctly? Like what plays right? Should we shoot it two ways so we can figure out in the edit? The whole coming out scene, um, that morning we had like just published the most recent version of it. I was still racking my brain to make sure it was right. And then I sat with um, with Wilder and with Holly and, and Adrita Mukherjee who was uh, uh, EPing with me for the episode, uh, producing alongside me and we, you know, walk through it, talk through it line by line and made adjustments to the text then and there, you know, right before going to shoot it. So um, that scene was very much alive until it was captured. Also, I think, you know, we were never like, never fully satisfied with with um, the Addison and Tom breakup scene or like wedding postponement scene, if you will. It was one of those ones where it's constantly being rewritten until the morning of because it was so delicate. And actually, um, Martin was the one who came up with that, you know, line, I don't know offhand right now, but like you spent so much time in the past that I began to worry about the future. And it was such an iconic quantum leap line, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but that's always how it is. I mean, the, the TV writing is just never done. I mean, maybe it is, but not on the shows that I've worked on. On the shows that I've worked on, you do your best with the script and, and and then you have your sides that morning and then you get there and you're live and things change. Right. Right. I know that that it's uh, one of the things that Dean had mentioned with nomads is that it was, you know, it was, it was kind of heartbreaking for him to not be able to do that for that episode, which I, I mean, I think the episode yeah. is great, but I can only imagine, you know, to, to do that work and be prepared to continue that work and then have to stop. Um, and do yeah. The strike. Um, yeah. so, uh, um, you know, once the, I, 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 I obviously want to talk a lot about Dean and, and, and I think that, um, the character Dean, um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, how intentional was that by the way, naming the character Dean? <laughs> Actually, it, it changed when we, um, when we cast Wilder, um, uh, and we, uh, realized that we wanted to have uh, like a, a family that was representative of 
while there's identity. And so while there is Middle Eastern, North African Mina. And so we just knew that we were going to have to cast this, the Sarah and then the Nadia double as also Mina actors. And then we looked for um, names that would work kind of like an easy gender change name that was still a, a, a common Mina name. And so Dina and Dean is a, they're both like Mina names. And so we were like, oh, this works great. Yeah. Yeah. It was originally written as Gina and Jean. Okay. To be like a, yeah. But then Dean is so cool. It's like James Dean. It's like perfect, you know? And then, and then Dean felt like, you know, our showrunner Dean was like, oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> well, and it, yeah, it definitely plays into that moment too when when uh, Ben is like, "You look badass," you know, after he hands yeah. him the leather jacket. Um, yeah. So I, I think you know one of the things that you brought up too about the the dead naming is that obviously Sarah has a hard time, you know, calling Dean by their name, and um, I know that that is. Something like for me, it's easy, right? Sam is just Sam, so I've never had to to experience that over the past year and mm-hmm. a half or so. And and I'm curious as to how you do approach that in a sensitive manner because it can be a very difficult thing, and it's not something that you want to just do without a lot of thought. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I wanted to show in this family story was that like family, family fuck up. You know what I mean? <laughs> like we try to get it right and we don't get it right. I dead name myself sometimes. You know what I mean? So I just wanted to show like how it can be both hurtful and not malicious and it can be unintentional and it can be uh, something that someone's working on and still misfiring and that we can be gracious with each other and that there's a journey to go on with any time a family member introduces a new name like you're going to, you know, I want our audience members to be like, cool, I'm going to try really hard to get that name right. And I want someone else in my position to be like, if they mess up my name, I'm going to like really try and understand that they're trying, you know, just building that bridge a little closer because these things like, I'm not interested in divisive talking points. I'm interested in helping people get along you know and mm-hmm. preserving family relationships and and kinship and, and community and friendship and and so i just there's several things in this episode with the coming out and the naming and the binding and that i just want i want to empower individuals and families to have more comfortable conversations around these things by kind of seeing them in a disarming way and so that's what i tried to do with even the dead naming you know, was just like, it happens. It doesn't have to be mean. It doesn't have to be hurtful. Um, it can still be triggering. It can even be traumatic, but it can be worked through, you know, yeah. from both sides. And so I wanted to show that. I, th- I think you did in- incredibly well. And, and you know, it's interesting because Sarah obviously has no comprehension whatsoever. Um, I, I, I think you know, yeah. she, she spends half of the episode just oblivious and right. and 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 so it, it it's you know once she becomes informed and once that bridge is is built it is really wonderful to see um you know to see her call them dean um and 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 i think that uh it again for me um one of the things that was also so powerful was the fact that this is a story that takes place over 70 years yeah. ago yeah and that's right, that's right. you know I think it is incredibly empowering um, to non-binary and, and trans people, um, youth perhaps in particular, quite frankly, to see a story that takes place so long ago and be able to really own that statement that like, we've always been here. Um, we've always been here. 
Can you talk a little bit about that and specifically with yeah. the episode and setting it in the 50s? Yeah, I mean, you know, sometimes it's like, because in the, I, I came out in the late 90s um, and I, so I've been at it for a minute, you know? Um, <laughs> and I still consider myself pretty young, but I came out real young. So, um, but I've been at it for a minute and I came up knowing my queer history, learning my queer history. Um, but having to do that through like sifting and sorting through scraps of things that you could find in like old bookstores and like even before the internet and nonsense, you know? So yeah. um, nowadays, I think because there's so much more conversation around trans identity um, and there's so many more trans people coming out because it's safer to do so when we have the language and we have the visibility and we have the platform and the protection, a lot of people think that we are a new phenomenon when in fact we've been here the whole time we've just had to go underground and be in the margins and survive on the sidelines and so part of claiming our space in the present is reclaiming our history and the traces that we left in the past um, that's how we get to know ourselves and i think anyone who might be from a, like a diasporic community might understand the importance of like tracing that legacy back and so for trans people and queer people in general, I think it's so important to kind of go back to the archive of history and pull out these examples of who we were. And there are there's so many records of uh, gender non-conforming people in the 40s and 50s who were out and living their lives and existing in society. And yeah, breaking laws because you couldn't wear more than three articles of clothing of the opposite gender and it was illegal to be gay and, and you couldn't buy alcohol and all these things. But we were organizing, organizing ourselves in societies and clubs and social networks and relationships and having wonderful, erotic and thrilling sex lives and you know challenging heteronormative patriarchy. And we have been doing that for a really long time, really for hundreds and thousands of years, quite frankly. Yeah. But um, this particular, you know, sort of James Dean, 50s bad boy, you know, the closest sort of like archetype that I could think of is the character of anybody's from West Side Story mm. or the character of, um, I can't remember, Jess, no, that's not their name, but shoot. There's a book by Les Feinberg called Stone Butch Blues that has like an iconic sort of like Butch Dyke that might now, I mean, who knows what they would identify as now, but we don't get a lot of, we don't get a lot of role models, you know, so we got to make some new ones. And I, I wanted to, yeah, to give that gift of seeing ourselves in the past so we could recognize ourselves in the present. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love so much about the way that you articulated. And I, you know, I mean, just for me personally, like I've genuinely learned from you and, 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 and I appreciate awesome. that. I really do. And, for sure. You know, over the, I mean, again, just for me personally, over the past year and a half, um, getting to learn so much about the history has been such a privilege and the access is there in a way that it has never been before. You know, yeah. I, I've, I've listened to podcasts. I watch documentaries on streaming. I, you know, I check out eBooks from the library. I, you know, there's, it's just so much easier, um, which I think makes it all the more frustrating and maddening that, you know, people choose almost to remain ignorant. Um, yeah, but you have to meet people where they're at. And this is one of the things I learned and why I think this episode is so important because this is Quantum Leap. This is like NBC, you know, currently at 10 p.m., but whatever. It's NBC Peacock. It's like watched by millions of people a week yeah. in middle America. 
And I got to say, I feel like I kind of dupe them with this episode. It's kind of a sneak attack. You know what I mean? Totally. And, and I, and I love that. I feel like that's kind of my like secret power, but you know, but yeah, yes, there's all this information. Yes. There's all this literature and resources and stuff. And still there are people in the dark, some willfully and ignorantly and some who are really trapped and seeking connection. And like, I, I hope that this episode pierces the darkness, you know, for some people who might not know how to tell their family how they're feeling about their body or their identity, or maybe someone who's not understood someone trans in their life sees this episode and feels more open to receiving that person in their life as they want to be received. And, you know, you just, for me as a, as a trans creator, I have to take every opportunity I, I am afforded to try and like I talk about it as my Care Bear stare, I just kind of blast it out and hope that it helps, you know, every yeah. time. Yeah, I I hope so too. And I and I think you're absolutely right. I mean, with an episode like this, um, it's national network television, you know, prime time and the opportunity for people to to see this and to see this scene specifically. Um, I, 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 I just... I mean, I'm grateful that it can exist. Um, yeah, one of the things that I love about the scene, and and this is kind of a, a broad question because it goes, mm -hmm. you know, even beyond the writing, the acting, but just the the art of of making something like this. Um, I love so much that it's intercut with footage from the project from HQ. Um, yeah, with, with Ian and Jen's reactions to what's happening, and I mean, Mason is beyond superb in in the scene. Um, yeah. and, 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 and I also love so much, you know, what you've given Ben and, and the way that he's able to almost kind of coach them in a way and, 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 and kind of say like, Hey, you know, here's some information, maybe this will help. And, and, and I just love that so much. And you can kind of see the exhilaration, like Wilder does such a wonderful job of just like, yeah, it's like the light bulb moment and sister like, Oh my yeah. gosh, you know, um, can you talk a little bit about the creation of the scene and, and specifically too about kind of intercutting it, you know, back to HQ yeah. and getting those reactions? Well, yeah, I mean, there's so many dynamics happening at once and, and you caught up on all of them, but this idea first that, that Dean is receiving the gift of language to name themselves. And that is so huge because that's what so many of us lack. And I remember the first time I heard the word trans, you know, and what it meant transgender, I was like 18 and I was like, that is who I am. That's me. And so, you know, with this non-binary and they, them pronouns, like this, this new option, you know, being delivered to this one person, but really socially and culturally, what we're all sort of experiencing, you know, yeah. um, it was just so, so wonderful to see happening. And then the fact that it's Ben getting to do it as an accomplice, which he learned how to do and be last season in Let Them Play, you know, he learned what accompliceship was, and now he's doing it, you know, we don't need to call Ian in, we don't need Ian to jump into the chamber and solve the <laughs> trans crisis, you know, it's because we have now coached like the cishet man here to like do the empowerment, you know, for this trans person to to be there and reflect back their worthiness and offer them the tool of a name. And then for Ian to be sort of like freed from that emotional labor allows them to feel both the, the, the joy and the hope that is seeing this young person have this experience that maybe they didn't have or they'd want everyone to have. And also there's like a bittersweet, you know, there's a tenderness 
and and even I'll say a kind of grief in in knowing that it it didn't work out that way most of the time back then, you know, and that it's still not working out the way we want it to a lot of the time today. And so I think I think Mason was keenly aware of what my objective here was in terms of reclaiming our stories and our history and also the need for, you know, all of the non-binary people who who look to them as a as a leader and a pioneer um to sort of ha it's this like complete we see you moment you know um and we don't get a lot of those we just don't not, not on network tv not anywhere ever you know so um so i think that's like all of the dynamics that i was trying to weave together in that in that scene mm. I, I i you know i um it was incredibly moving to me um, both times that I watched it. And um, cool. it was something that I was very grateful for. And I think that um, it having the vocabulary and having the language is something that is so important. And regardless of whether or not, uh, you know, there's, there's new words or there's old words made new or whatever the case might be, sometimes you really do need someone to give that to you before you're able to recognize it. And I know I did. So yeah. seeing that in action, um, it was, it was just incredibly touching. And I, and I love the cool. way that the actors handled it too. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, Ray's phenomenal anyway. I mean, I feel like you give him the phone book and it would be phenomenal, but um, yeah. in this instance in particular, there's just something so beautiful about, you know, I mean, calling, Ian, his best friend, and and yeah. you know the I mean the whole finishing uh, uh, finishing school joke you know that that plays over the course of the whole episode yes. is great. But I love bringing it in here. I love you know Mason's reaction because they just like they're they're loving it too, which is also yes. wonderful. But again, something that Wilder does so wonderfully is that they are again that that exhilaration, that euphoria over kind of you know feeling that. I, I thought that they played that so well. Can you talk a little bit Dang. about? Was there any kind of rehearsal period that you were able to have or any kind of, you know, equivalent of table work or anything? Or was it basically just, we got to go, get on, let's shoot it? No, you know, I, I had a lot of conversations with Wilder every day on set before we shot, especially with the scene, um, phone calls, you know, about like what the character Dean is going through. One thing that we were really so lined up on is that we did not want this to be, I mean, I did not write this to be a trauma story. You know, it is a hero's journey and it is a adventure story. And what Wilder did instinctively as an actor when they came in with this role is they just brought their unbridled trans joy, like from the jump. This kid, Dean, is like, hip to go on a treasure hunt, you know, in his dad, in their dad's name, you know, and, um, and I just think that that's so dope. And, um, and to sort of meet this character, you know, from the get go, as someone who's like, adventure seeking, in their body, like activated, um, you know, taking up space, like, it's so different from the stories that we've seen where like the trans person is hiding or in secret about who they are and ashamed and, and, you know, and they're coming out is, 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 a is a, is a painful confession. And it's like, no, none of that. You know, this, yeah. this character is living their life and their truth to the fullest and their decision to 
let their siblings in on what's going on with them and their body. Like while, yeah, it's sort of happenstance because of where they're at and the ripped shirt and all that. It is this proclamation of like, this is who I am. And if you want to come on the journey with me, then like, let's go, yeah. you know? And, and I just love that. And I just, I just want, I want trans people who are on the verge of coming out to feel that kind of power when they invite people in to experience them as their true selves. I love it. I love it. Um, <laughs> so the character of Sarah, uh, I want to talk about her a yeah. little bit because, you know, she yes. obviously has this, this journey as well. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I think one of the things that I end up loving about her so much is, is the sense of humor because early on, you know, she seems completely devoid of that. Um, yeah. She's certainly you, you know, grows into that. And as she's accepting Dean, um, you know, she has her own moment of this is who I want to be. And, and, yeah. and I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's powerful as well. Um, talk a little bit about the creation of that character, especially again, you know, in 1953 and, and you yeah. know, her circumstances and how she has to find a way out perhaps. Exactly. Well, you know, nothing, um, like aggravates, uh, a person more like, like a person, like there is nothing more frustrated than feeling trapped and seeing someone like be free. You know what I mean? Like, um, and I, I like, that's a loaded statement, but in the context of this episode and these dynamics in terms of the patriarchy, what I'm talking about is like, you know, sometimes when we can't battle our oppressors we like target other folks who are dealing with oppression differently <laughs> you know what i mean and um and so i think there's this like um this unseen you know maybe nemesis or at least antagonist in douglas the husband that we never meet where we learn a couple times that there is like dynamics that are not cool at home whether or not that's like abusive or just unkind or unloving or who knows what it's not a good home for her you know and her kids and she knows that and she feels trapped there and i think like then seeing dean's sort of like what she interprets as wild and fancy free is like uh, is you know only reinforcing how confined and trapped she is and then she builds up all this resentment toward her sibling because of that when in fact like she's really struggling with her own liberation and um dean become dean's liberation becomes a mirror for her own liberation and i think that's ultimately a, an allegory i wanted to set up because i feel that tension with my cisgender sisters you know in in terms of feminism in terms of the movement and i see so many um cis women who who feel like trans people or non-binary people are like potentially stealing women away from feminism or like doing something to you know enforce patriarchal like stereotypes on top of uh liberation and 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 and, and they create a sort of divisive narrative where like trans liberation does not equal feminism and i'm trying to say no 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 my liberation is implicitly and explicitly intertwined with your liberation and mm -hmm. uh, and and this is true for trans feminine trans masculine and non-binary people and cis women uh, of all types and persuasions because 
you know, ultimately like every non-heteronormative like cis experience is um, like targeted by patriarchy. You know what I mean? Ultimately, like, and so I know I'm speaking in broad terms, but what I would try to do is distill it into these very human experiences of of a woman trying to get out of an, of a, of a unhappy marriage in a time when that was nearly impossible. And then this yeah. young trans mass non-binary person trying to like fully express themselves in a time when that was nearly impossible. And in fact, both of those struggles though, though are, are still happening 70 years later, you know? Um, yeah. And, and we lose the battle when we, when we divide ourselves and, um, and think of these things as uh, separate struggles. And so that's what I wanted to kind of get at with the, with putting these two stories up next to each other. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I'm so glad that we got to go a little deeper into it because I think, you know, as I was watching it and, and, and seeing the liberation of these characters, you know, you, you can't help but think too, like, and obviously it's part of the conceit of the show that we do have characters that are in, you know, very interesting situations, even Ben, right? You, you know, mm-hmm. Ben is inhabiting this this woman's space and, 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 and you know, interacting with these sisters, you know, in her place, basically. Yeah. And 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 we see the interactions with the patriarchy firsthand, right? Through Ricardo and through Mr. Wells, the lawyer. You know the That's way right. that there and Douglas, obviously the you know named but not seen character. And 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 I think that the way that those forces kind of him, you know, Sarah specifically in and 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 really dictate you know, the the place or, or allow it, it, she allows it to dictate the place that she's able to occupy and the space that she's able to occupy as opposed to being able to feel that liberation and really well i don't think mind. she even considers she can i don't think she has the idea that she could even push back until she sees dean pushing back you know it's right. that same the same gift of naming in a way you know um and i think that's what we need like you know sometimes you have to see it to know it's possible and so like what when when you are any person can be struggling for whatever it is they need to liberate from or toward you know yeah and when we see other people um sort of casting off the the weight of their own uh oppression however that is for them however they shake that off and find their freedom and 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 learn to express themselves and claim their power you know, we can either see hope and possibility and find activation through that, or we can sort of like shrink deeper and feel more trapped and disempowered. And, and, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like I've seen it so many times in my own life where, um, there's like this, something gets ignited when, when someone feels emboldened enough to take up their space and be their whole full self and like shine bright and give no fucks. And it's like the people around them either got to get on board or get out. And, and, and that's catchy because then what happens is like, then you want to be like, I want to know what it tastes like and feels like to, to be my own fullest self, you know? And, um, and so we get to see, we get this like great double header with like um, Dean kind of coming out to their siblings and then like, Sarah stepping in this decision that she's gonna, you know, leave Douglas and um, and it was so fun. Wilder actually improvised this line at the end of the scene, but when they're walking off together in the sunset, 
Wilder said, thanks for stealing my moment. And yeah. it made it into the cut. And uh, it's so, uh, I, I was like, we have to keep that in because yeah. it, it, it's like these, yeah, it's like we can be, I really believe we can be irreverent and joyful in our liberation. We can have fun and there are tears and it is hard work, but yeah. the, the hope is that it can be exciting, you know, and joyful. And um, so we had a little moment to kind of like, we, we, we tell aspirational stories on Quantum Leap because we really want the world to be that way. You know, yeah. and that's what's so cool about our show. We go back in time and we remake things to to fix the, the, the past and the present of our show, but we're doing it to reshape the future of our world, you know, yeah. and I love that. Absolutely. Well, and I think that this episode does feel very much in, in line with, you know, Deborah Pratt's 4-H's, right? Because you've got the heart, you've got the hope, you've got the humor, and the history is there as well, especially in, yeah. you know, in, in being able to challenge these, you know, patriarchal ideas, especially through the lens of, you know, the early 50s with uh, a non-binary character and, and, and a woman who wants out of an unhealthy marriage and being able to yeah. kind of like draw those th those boundaries and say like, no, you know, I'm worth more than what you know, some man thinks I'm worth, uh, in, yeah. in that instance. Um, speaking of the humor, one of the things that I do love, and obviously Wilder's improvised line fits perfectly with this too, is that there is this sense of humor that plays throughout the episode and we get it from multiple sources. Um, you know, mm -hmm. one, of, <laughs> one of my favorite ones, and it has a lot to do with her delivery too, is that early on, um, when they are, uh, uh, first kind of figuring out what's going on and Addison has just popped in and is talking to Ben and uh you know and and Caitlin kind of bids down and looks at the doorway and is like it might be easier to find the treasure there's something about that I mean it had me laughing out loud um yeah so when you when you get those moments and you're writing you know something that that has the potential to be funny um I, I mean how does it feel to then see an actor take it and, and perhaps you know even kick it up a notch and make it even more than what you thought it could be well, I mean, I wish I could remember the name that like the, um, Alicia, RDP and Jude had a name for the way that that Caitlin and Ray popped their heads out on the side, the stacked head thing. I don't remember. Yeah. But, like we had all these like Jude kept saying Goonie up, like to make yeah. a shot look Goonies, like get in, you know, but this. Yeah. But yeah, you know, the um, these little comedic beats make the dramatic stuff easier to swallow. I mean, it's a spoonful of sugar, you know, so um so it keeps it lighthearted and also like you see a sibling rivalry you know what it is you know do you know you're gonna get hit with like a big you know trans mass non-binary coming out scene no but you know what a sibling rivalry is you know the tropes you know the dynamics so as soon as we sort of call it out and we're like oh that's gonna be a journey we know what we're here for you know buckle in we're gonna get a bumpy ride with these siblings and um so it kind of sets us up for a, a good time well, I think one of the things, too, that I really loved is the fact that it's clear that there is that sort of lived in experience and there's like expectations that these characters have of one another. You know, you see it from from Dean to Sarah and, 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 and Sarah to Nadia, even, you know, on, and all across the board and even, you know, stretching out to 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 our, our main cast and, and, and the way that Ben is sort of like you know, reading or, or or maybe not reading Addison and 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 can tell that something's up and Addison's reluctance yeah. of course to talk about it. Um obviously, you know, we've we've talked a lot about the the episode and the guest stars, which is amazing because there's such a wonderful stuff there. But I do certainly want to talk about the regulars a little bit. And yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, Addison's story over the course of the episode is is really wonderful. And one of the things that's so amazing is that so much happens free of dialogue. It's all yeah. just 
you know, in, in Caitlin's performance. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because obviously, I mean, that's, you are writing for it, even if she doesn't necessarily have lines for it. So can you talk a yeah. little bit about the shape of that? Yeah, it was so fun and challenging. I mean, look, you know, you get five acts, right? So when, so you have a limited number of opportunities to trace uh, or to track a, a character journey. Uh, and when you know you want to start someplace and end someplace, you have to have these like pivoting moments where you expose the thought process that builds them to that change and gets them to make that change. And when that's the, your main story, you know, you can be really explicit with how the character goes through that. And that's what we do every week to week with these guest star arcs. But for something like what Caitlin's going through, what um, <laughs> Addison's going through in this episode, it's, you know, it's, um, it's kind of tertiary to what we are seeing on screen as the big story. So we need to find these like subtextual clues that link to what she's going through and how everything that the, our other characters are experiencing in like a physical acted out, you know, reality she's experiencing in her interiority. And then we're getting glimpses of that through a look and mm -hmm. it still have to understand that it's affecting her and making her change from this woman who's excited to, you know, get eloped tonight to this woman who's like, maybe I made the wrong decision. I need to get out of this relationship before I lock it down. And that's a huge shift, but it's also a very human shift. And we had to sort of chart it through the journeys that are happening with our, you know, guest star cast and, um, and the lead story. So yeah. we, um, we knew we had some moments to achieve that with like, the letter from dad uh, is, a, is a big one at the end because it's like, you know, um, you know, really tells us like your happiness is only valuable if you spend it with the people you love, you know, basically. Yeah. And, um, and seeing uh, Sarah, you know, talking about like staying in a relationship because she thought that's what she was supposed to do. So all these moments were like, oh, every pop song on the radio is speaking to me. You know what I mean? Like that Addison is having of like, oh, it's all, it's all <laughs> making me, um, you know, like rethink myself and no one knows what I'm going through. And that's really yeah. juicy stuff, but really hard to script. And, and um, Caitlin just did, you know, she can just make meat of a scene with her eyes. Like she can just tell you everything that's going on internally. And um, yeah. it's not easy to do as an actor. She's really great, really great at that. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I love what you said about the eyes, because that's, I mean, that is the, the story that she tells, um, you know, with her eyes alone. I, I mean, by the, you know, by the time she does go and talk to Tom, it's, it's clear. It's like, yeah, okay, you know, I, I have a feeling I know where this is heading. Although, that said, what I did not expect, and I was really, I, I, I in the most positive and best of ways, did not expect was Tom's reaction. Um, talk a little bit about about that moment and 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 especially you know scripting tom to react in in such a strong way which feels very real very yeah. honest but not necessarily what we always see in those moments on television quite yeah frankly. yeah 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 listen it there were multiple drafts of that scene um and a lot of opinions about how it should go down and um, I will say this episode, we were very blessed to have like a team of very strong women um, working on this episode for myself, Adrita, um, and Jude and Alicia and our, our AD Maria. So th there were all these women looking at this script of this brutal breakup 
and wanting to make sure that we protected Tom from becoming a villain. And if he had responded in a, in a way that was more along the lines of like an outburst or a sort of like masculinist kind of hard, um, aggressive, flippant kind of energy. I feel like that would have um, really damaged the reputation that we created for the character as a, as a good partner for Addison and, and as a potential partner for Addison. And what we didn't, that would have also like, if she broke up with him and he stormed and he stormed off, then we'd have been like, well, she was right, you know, mm-hmm. um, cause he's a dick. But the right. fact that he was like, I'm going to give you space and time and you're going to see that you're actually in love with this other guy. And like, that's just, I mean, first of all, that takes guts, um, mm-hmm. to, to do, but it's also, yeah, un- maybe not what you'd expect, like you said, from a, from a scene like this, but um, but in a way, it kind of twists the knife deeper too, in terms Absolutely. of like Addison's like guilt and responsibility. Versus if he had blown up, then we just would have been like, well, yeah, he's an asshole. So good thing right. she broke it off, you know. Absolutely. So yeah, but it, we had to really play around with it. Well, it's a wonderful moment for Peter as well because they like just when when she begins to break the news, uh, you know, the look on his face is is just really wonderful, and you yeah. know that hurt and that heartbreak and everything that we've learned about the character, um, you know, especially you know being a widower and and yeah. and, and, and just what he's brought to the show and not I don't necessarily mean Peter specifically, although obviously he's a part of that, but just the character of Tom. Um, you know, over the past like four or five episodes specifically, uh, yeah. I feel like that that moment it does play so well, and it and it is supported by what we've seen before. It doesn't feel like it betrays that, and it doesn't feel like it goes to a place where, like you say, it's like, oh yeah, she was right, he's a dick, you know, good riddance. Um, yeah, which I which I also love because, and I'm not sure how much you know if at all you, you pay attention to this, but I know that there's definitely been a lot of chatter, um, you know, on social media and Reddit and that sort of stuff about Tom, this expectation that Tom's a villain, you know, and that obviously yes. Tom's going to yeah. turn on everyone, and and nothing that we have seen, you know supports that and I love that I'm, I'm I'm happy for that um let's talk a little bit about the character of Tom and how especially crafting a scene like this that is so important to the fabric of that character um what you do building off of everything that's come before and and seeing that whole shape as opposed to just focusing on you know your episode yeah well I think you have to zoom out to see season two in context with the whole show and what we've set up as a love story through time with Addison and Ben and you know um while that might change and the dynamics might shift and and new loves come into their lives we certainly planted a seed in season one that is like stick with us for five years and see where we go you know what I mean with these with these lovers lost in time. And so in a way you all, you sort of like understand this, the audience suspicion of Tom, because we hope that people are still ultimately rooting for Addison and Ben, you know, that's what we want people to still, yes, be happy, Ben, find Hannah, like do, but but we hope that the candle's still burning for for that ship, you know what I mean? And so, um, so that's one to be expected. And then I think, 
you know, when thinking about scripting the end of a relationship and now Tom still has more to do, but, um, but this scene is so um, final, you know, in terms of yeah. understanding what their, what their dynamic is. Um, and that was, that was actually a big conversation piece in the writer's room, because my, in my opinion, it, I was like, I, I think I, I wrote a line at one point that was like, um, are we, are we like breaking, are we like calling it off or, or putting it on hold? And then the other person said, is there a difference? And mm. like, <laughs> we, we didn't, that didn't last, but, but that idea that like, once we, once we've had this scene, we know where it's going, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so there was a kind of, it was juicy. It's like, for, for me, like, you oh like we've been following this this whole arc and like i get to write the breakup you know what i mean yeah, it's a kind of right, fun right. This kind of thing but um but yeah like i said you want it to you want to deliver the audience in a place where they feel like it was worth going on the ride and and you also hope that that by going on this ride that both characters leave the relationship transformed just like any humans in relationships would so you know, for sure, we're going to see where this takes Addison. Um, and, you know, in terms of, like, how this affects Tom moving forward. I mean, that's one of those things with these characters in our show. There's so many people that you meet whose lives are changed and you you have to imagine what happens next because we, yeah. don't, we don't follow them, you know. Well, I, I think that that is one of the things, too, is that like through the course of this episode, you, you know, there are it's funny because looking back at Let Them Play, right, you get the big bombshell with Ian having left and what they did and, and interacting yeah. with Dottie and like all that sort of stuff. And in this episode, I feel like you get multiple bombshells because you get the Addison and Tom breakup. You get Ben writing the letter, um, which yeah. I, you know, I definitely want to talk about. But you also get so cool. the reveal of Gideon. Um, which we'll get yeah, to in a second. The big let's, go ahead, let's go ahead and go back to the letter real quick. Um, yeah, the Doc Brown letter. Yeah. So when I um, when I was speaking to Alex uh, last week for Off the Cuff and, and then speaking with, I don't think he'll mind me saying this, speaking with Drew Lindo off the record about some stuff. Yeah. You know, one of the mm -hmm. things that I was so interested in and intrigued by was the fact that when Off the Cuff ends and Ben finds out about Josh's, you know, untimely demise, that he doesn't get the opportunity to say anything to Hannah. And then knowing yeah. that this leap is going to be in 1953, it's like, well, he can't say anything to her because she doesn't even know that he's out there. And then yes. knowing that the next episode, The Outsider 211 takes place in the 80s, it's like, well, that's too late. What's he going to do? Can you talk a little bit about the discussions as far as like, how do we follow up on that? And what do we do? And where you came with the letter, which I love. It's a very, you know, it's, yeah. it, it plays into like back to the future, but it also, it also exactly. echoes um, the leap back in, in the original series, because that's how you know, uh -huh. get the, the, the um, imaging chamber door open. So uh, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about what went into that moment. Well, it's funny. The letter was the only thing. So I had a whole episode outlined before the strike. Um, and the only thing that carried over was the letter um, because we, we changed everything completely. But it was the one plot point of this of the season that we knew was going to be this like anchor point, which was that at one point, Ben was going to intervene in history and take the risk to change things. And then we were going to track what happens with that, which we will do in the following <laughs> episodes. Um, and I'm like super excited by you know what gets unleashed with that letter and how it how it works um, as a as a plot engine. Um, so, yeah. Um, well, first first of all, like um, the idea that 
Ben is pissed that he didn't get to say anything to Hannah when he's jump when it's the start of of this episode. He comes into this new situation feeling unresolved about the last situation, and that is unlike most leaps because most leaps he resolves and then he leaves. And this one, he he arrives and is like, there's still unfinished business from that one. So that is like a a sort of um, nagging undercurrent for him. Just the way that Addison has this nagging undercurrent the whole episode about like telling Ben about what's going on with Tom. So um, so it's cool to see how what happens with Dean and Sarah sort of empower Ben to write this letter and Addison to break up with Tom. Like the leap needed to happen this way in order for these things to, to play out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the, um, yeah, I'm really, I mean, the letter, like, it's just the beginning, you know, the, the payoff is going to come soon. I, I, I have some thoughts. I won't say any of them right now. I'll save that for my solo review, but uh, I definitely have some thoughts and I thought it was a really cool moment. And, um, and, and I was glad that something happened because it did feel like, you know, we got this big story in the meantime and so many other things are going on. You know, obviously the other stuff at HQ is like the threat of Gideon when Rachel calls Ian and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh my gosh, what's going on there? Um, that 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 moment just felt really nice and and there was this part of me that's just sort of like oh my god he gave that letter to sarah like is sarah actually going to like <laughs> but, but what she says is like you're just like that so again mm. these these siblings went on this whole journey to prove themselves to their dad to get this you know and got this treasure and it was like this you know like sarah has sort of proven to ben that she will do this totally ridiculous thing that makes no sense that is kind of pie in the sky Great dreamy point. you know Great. so yeah, yeah i mailed this letter in 20 years okay you know right, like right. <laughs> she will they just went on this whole quest yeah, no, that's, that's, a that's, yeah, that is a great point. Um, and uh, one of the things that I, I neglected to mention earlier, and I want to ask you about this is that it, it feels like one of the things that I, I picked up on is that the father is very accepting of his children, and to the point that he wants them to be empowered. Like, I don't think he yeah. wants Sarah to exist in this marriage. I don't think that he wants Dean to have to exist within the confines of, you know, the genders she was assigned. And so like, I'm, I'm, curious as to your take on that and, and and the way that he kind of empowers them to you know to fully realize themselves in their relationships with one another i think the whole episode the whole treasure hunt is is a is a quest and is a a challenge laid down by their dad to you know show up to their like become their go on this journey and become your best self it's just like a siddhartha kind of thing you know it's mm -hmm. like um, Jonathan Livingston Siegel. It's like the old. It's like every sort of hero call to action, and um, and the fact that this was like the father's, you know, the idea is that maybe he spent his whole life seeking treasure, and realized that the most important thing was the family that he was coming home to, and before he gave them this gift, he wanted them to have that same understanding, and so yeah, yeah I I I don't know. I love. Um, I love, I love a quest where the real treasure's at home. I mean, it's like never ending story. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm -hmm. like, it's all within, it all comes from within. Like that's the, so I just wanted to like, you know, nod to that, that archetype that, that um, it's such a, to me, it's such a satisfying story arc, yeah. you know, going on the quest 
thinking that you failed or that you were unsatisfied, but being transformed, realizing that the transformation that you underwent on the quest was the treasure you were searching for. And then there's the perk of the actual reward that awaits you when you get back home changed, right. you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Well, it definitely feels like a parenting win. And one of the things that I love about it too, is it's like, it's, it's <laughs> almost as though he's saying, I paid a really high cost to be able to come to this realization. And now I am going to give you the gift of not having to pay that same cost. Um, and, yeah. and, and it, it's just really lovely. You know, it's, it, it's, that's Thank love. You. Um, and yeah. I, yeah, I really liked it. Um, okay. So let's, let's get to it. Let's get to Gideon. Yeah. Okay. First of all, I, I might've texted some people when I saw James Frayne's name in the, the guest star credits. Cause I was just like, Holy shit. I love that guy. Like, yeah. who is he going to be? And, and, and what's going on here. And then of course he shows up and I'm just sort of like, you are everything I wanted you to be and more. <laughs> oh, he does not disappoint. Just you wait. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I know you probably can't say much, but what can you tell me about Gideon and about the the creation of this character and and, and casting James Frain and getting, you know, someone like him? Because, again, he's just he's superb. I've loved him in everything I've seen him in. I was on yeah. tour with the Children's Theater in like 2006, 2007. And uh, it was when the Tudors premiered. And so oh, cool. we we would watch that show. That was like our obsession towards the very end of the tour uh, to the point that we would like, you know, instant message because we didn't have smartphones back then. Instant message one another on like AOL instant message uh -huh. after the tour ended, you know, to, to catch up on the show. Um, but That's yeah, so awesome. I, I think he's great. I loved him, you know, as, as Sarek and Star Trek Discovery recently and stuff. So I would yeah. love to hear more about getting him and then, yeah, the creation of Gideon and as much as you well, can tell me. <laughs> in terms of, yeah, in terms of James, like we knew that we wanted the role because he's a big bad to be legendary, you know, icon status to sort of fulfill, like when you, as soon as you see him, you got to kind of feel in your gut that like, this is a powerful nemesis, you know? Yeah. And, um, and James just like radiates this awesome, like, in, the, in this role, kind of smarmy, um, <laughs> Zuckerbergian, like, you know, power, but that's laid back and dickish and even that makes it worse. You know what I mean? Yeah. So right like, his Chuck so, Taylor shoes. <laughs> exactly. So perfect, you know, and the watch and the, yeah, it's all just like, um, yeah, you know who you're meeting when you meet him you know yeah. which i which i love and 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 he james like i said it's not his point it's really exciting what uh, gideon's gonna bring to the table the next couple episodes but um but in terms of writing the character you know we again it's like the season dream right we start the season and we're like okay well we need we know we have a big bad set up we know that ian like has gotten entangled with something in order to help us keep quantum leap alive these last three years like this but 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 um, who is this person and how deep does this um, does this connection you know embroil us in um, in the fate of Quantum Leap mm -hmm. and uh, yeah I mean I just think I'm really excited for the fans to I've already seen a lot of the theories that have like been popping up on Reddit and stuff but I just <laughs> I'm, I'm really proud of how we strung all this together as a writer's room and yeah. i think it's like really really uh real exciting ride the the final you know third of the season is just like such a juggernaut like you're gonna have so much fun the next few weeks um but uh 
Yeah, but in particular, the role of Gideon, you know, any time travel show, like you have to, or story in general, you just have to wonder like what could happen when the technology gets in the wrong hands. It's like, it's, it, and so we have the opportunity to, uh, you know, ask that question on our show and we're doing that with Gideon. Yeah. Well, I love that it's getting explored in a very different way than say the classic series did with the evil leapers or even like last yeah. season did with Martinez, which was a little bit different because it was like, you can almost ask the questions like, was the technology in the wrong hands? Was it in the right hands, but used in the wrong way? You know, which I think are all right. interesting questions. Exactly. And I, you know, one of the things that I, I mentioned in my solo review of off the cuff is that as the, actually it wasn't a solo review. I'm sorry. JJ Lindell joined me for that one. Uh, but one of the things that I mentioned is I feel like as we're getting into these final few episodes, it's becoming increasingly clear that so much of this emotional character driven narrative that, that, you know, I, I praised and, and, and I think rightly so early on has also been setting the stage for all of these big plot driven moments. And I am, you know, almost literally chomping at the bit to be able to go back and rewatch the season from the beginning. Um, Briefly, because I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Can you talk a little bit about how you kind of put all those pieces together and especially as individual writers working on an episode? And I know it's collaborative, but still, how do you kind of make sure you don't lose sight of that overall shape once you kind of get into the room and plan that out? I mean, I want to give a shout out to um, Annalise Medina, our writer's assistant, who also Mm -hmm. wrote an episode last season. Um, um, Annalise creates a board for us and manages this board that has all of our like season uh goals and objectives and plot points and story elements and so in addition to sort of breaking out episode by episode what's happening you know in each as each character progresses and and you know how we sort of structured the act breaks of each episode we are always revising the mythology that we're creating for ourselves over the course of the season because something you, know, you you get a really good idea for something in one episode and then suddenly it changes like what's going to happen in sequential episodes and it's not always planned to a T from the beginning we have to be able to be responsive to these ideas so sure. um Annalise's tracking of our season arcs is really a, a gift um because we'd be lost without it we'd just be like, what did we decide <laughs> was going to happen but um but then you know when it comes time for like each writer to get sort of their their shot at the you know whatever element of the story we're, we're crafting there's a couple things that we always have to keep in mind which is like one you know we're developing a shared language for how these characters are talked about and how they speak and so we all have to kind of vibe together on like finding the voices of these characters and watching the show to understand like how this character might speak in like I needed to you know watch Tom to learn how he would speak and you know whatever so um so there's sort of like a a passing of the baton that happens with the storytelling um but uh but when it comes time to like for these big uh plot points that are like creating canon you know in a way uh (laughs) like um well there's a lot of pressure because you know the fans are going to have shit to say no matter what (laughs) um (laughs) um but but also i don't know we just sort of nerd out you know we get like what you can tell when you land on the perfect intersection of like drama action mythology comedy genre and it's like there's the idea and like 
let's put a pin in that and make it work. You know, what do we need to do over here to make sure we can get to there? And that's just the messiness of the writer's room. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And then you get these little nuggets, you know what I mean? Like we, 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 we break our leaps um, and we know like, okay, this is the story I want to tell in this time period, A to Z, whatever. But then what we did, what we're doing in HQ, um, it, like, you know, that stuff that we have to kind of like dole out over the course of the year. And yeah, um, I got some real juicy ones. I was super, super excited about it. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think that one of the things that has been remarkable about this season, even more so than last season, is that um, I feel that the, the leaps and the HQ stuff has just, you know, meshed so well and that the ongoing narrative has been told through these leaps as opposed to the leaps feeling you know, uh, almost like side stories or, or, or maybe this is the big focus. The leap is a big focus. And then everything else feels like a side story. Everything feels very intertwined and, and it's just made following the story such a joy. Um, you know, I've, I've loved it. Um, speaking of following the story, you get to follow the story in an interesting way for the finale, because I heard that you were on set for the finale, uh, shouting yeah. Chris Grismer and hanging out with Drew Lindo. Uh, I know yeah. that there's not much that you can say, but I would love to just kind of hear about your experience and hear your non-spoiler thoughts on what might be in store for us with the finale. Well, the experience was amazing. I mean, uh, Chris Grismer not only directed the episode, but is the producing director of the show. So he knows the language of our show inside and out. And he is the, the you know, coach of our crew, basically. The, the crew respond to him so well, and he knows exactly what we're capable of achieving and how to achieve it. So getting to shadow him as a director was was amazing. You know, I came in as a director on Let Them Play, kind of happenstance. I didn't get yeah. to direct this season because we had a shorter season because of the strike. I really hope I get to direct next season. So I thought shadowing would be a great way to like set myself up for that. For sure. Um, so that was just really awesome learning opportunity. Also, it was our, our last episode of the season, and I didn't want to go home yet. I just wanted to hang out, and <laughs> uh, I love Drew so much. And and the episode was such a such a great episode, and I just uh, I just wanted to stick around. So I got to hang out for it. It was amazing. The one thing I'll say about, like, without any spoilers is just, you know, I feel like last year everyone was so excited that we found a way to revive Quantum Leap. And, like, that was exciting. And it was just like, Quantum Leap is back. And it, and it has so much of the original heart. And, like, you know, it's doing what it, what it, what it always wanted to do. And, but then we had this, like, HQ component and this, like, procedural, real-time, week-to-week um, you know, continuity that the original didn't have. And I feel like what we do in season two is we like earn that in a really cool way. I feel like now people are going to be like, that's why Quantum Leap had to exist this way. Like we, we, we got the, we got the how in season one and now we got the why. Like it, this is why Quantum Leap needed to come back. And this is like why we needed to do it the way we do it with the multiple timelines happening sequentially. You know, it's just um, masterfully done. There are so many exciting threads that are woven together and come together for our season finale. And I'm so proud of Drew for the episode. And I was so happy to get to be a part of it. And I just, it's very satisfying. And I, I hope that the audiences love it as much as I loved being there for it. And uh, yeah. yeah, you know, um, NBC loves to say Ben's journey through time is just beginning. And you really feel that. 
I am so incredibly excited for it. I, I, you know, it's, it's bittersweet in a way because, uh, February 20th, you know, it's, it's over for a while. Uh, uh, and, and, and then, you know, there's, there's going to be a while without anything, but, um, I, I'm, yeah, I'm very, very excited. And I just think that what's, what's happened, um, since the show came back, uh, after the hiatus already just in two episodes, I, I think, it's incredible the you know what you've been able to do and how the story has been moved forward at this pace that I I I don't know that anyone was expecting and it's like those yeah. first eight episodes you know the story was just was was told and unfolded in this really wonderful way and now all of a sudden it's just sort of like oh that was you know that was just to get you comfy now hold on yeah shit's getting um, real for these yeah. last five yeah for sure for sure um, and I, I just also want to say like yes there will be some downtime after February twentieth but like to your listeners like now is the time to beat the drum for season three because this is when the studio and the network are sort of looking at how people are engaging with the show and whether or not there's an appetite for it so i think we are putting out a real good meal so uh, hopefully the appetite will be strong and people will be pounding the table for more and we'll, we'll get more that's I, yeah that is my hope as well i you know i encourage people to obviously stream the show on peacock and 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 watch it as much as they possibly can uh and and certainly to write those letters i'm not i'm not ready to 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 say save quantum leap yet or anything like that but certainly you know yeah let people know how much you love the show and it all counts that's right. and it all matters you know because i think yeah. that that's that's the important thing um so, uh, you know, one of the things that I wanted to mention just real quick, because we talked a little bit about it off mic beforehand, uh, mm-hmm. is the fact that, you know, it, it has been an incredibly emotional time for a lot of the community um, since losing Matt Dale. And he's someone that I love dearly. And, you know, I've, I've certainly just tried to kind of like honor his memory and pay tribute to him through through the, the show and through the podcast. And um, I, I, I know that obviously he's someone that you're super aware of. And it's something that I've talked a little bit about. Um, can you just talk a little bit about kind of what his presence meant to you and, and meant to kind of like, you know, the, the crafting of this show and, and somebody like Matt and, and their enthusiasm and their passion for the show and what that means, you know, to you? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, the, the heart that we're after on this show is bigger than the show itself. And we have this sort of noble quest of trying to, capture an ethos of making the world a better place for others and and putting that in something that's bite-sized and deliverable on a weekly basis. Uh, but what that really depends on uh, is the, the torch bearing that happens after the episode airs and the ways that people go out into the world changed by Quantum Leap and paying it forward in the ways that, you know, Sam pays it forward and Ben pays it forward, you know? And um, and so Matt was and is one of those spirits who was a torchbearer, not just for our show, but for that way of being in the world. You know, he, he picked up and ran with the headphones. You can hear me, right? Yes, and Matt, Matt picked up and ran with what this show stands for you know and um and he inspired people to connect with that and and keep the flame lit like not just week to week but for all the time that lapsed between the original series and now and onward and that's i mean you know for a person to be a mensch a bodhisattva uh uh 
you know, uh, uh, committed to making the world a better place is is um, already such a gift to humanity. And then for them, for that person to be so so uh, clearly able to point to a source of inspiration and say like, this gave me the drive to do that thing, uh, is so beautiful because again, it gives it gives the language, it gives the naming, and um, and it's such an honor to be a part of that thing that then inspired this person to go out and make the world better. And I, I hope, I know that, um, that his legacy will continue to, to pay it forward, you know, through, through this show, through your work, through our show and through all the lives that he touched by continuing to tell these kind of stories and and amplify the need of of walking in another person's shoes. And Mm. yeah. Yeah, so. uh, I love that. He was. He was an amplifier. That is that is yeah. the perfect way, you know, and he was so kind. I, I, I miss him dearly. And so anytime I get the chance to talk a little bit about him or, or share something, especially with, you know, people who are making this show that, that I know he loves so dearly, it's um, it's 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 good. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, well, his spirit definitely lives on amongst the writers and we carry his love for the show in our work and talk about him. And um, yeah. I, I hope that you will feel that when you when you see what we have coming down the pipe. I'm sure I will. I'm sure I will. Um, you know, one one last thing. Uh, I, yeah. I know we, we've read long. I hope you don't mind. But one last thing no, I want no, no. to talk about is that, you know, the, this episode of obviously is so incredibly important for its sense of inclusion and representation. And, uh, you know, being on network television, that's that's obviously incredible. And I think we're fortunate, like we mentioned, to to live in a time when there are so many stories that are being told and and access to those stories is better than it's ever been before. However, sometimes the recognition for those stories is lacking. And I think that it's important to recognize that and to talk about it. I often don't necessarily know how to talk about that. Um, So I'm curious, you know, to specifically mention someone that you know and someone that you've worked with before. I mean, Trace Lysette Mm -hmm. was in Let Them Play and, you know, she was fantastic in that. Um, Of course. And she was also uh, in a film called Monica, which is just a brilliant, brilliant movie. And her performance is incredible. I don't have have the superlatives for it, honestly. but it's been a performance that has been largely ignored as we're in this, you know, award season. And I know that awards are something that, you know, sometimes people are sort of like, well, they're not everything. But I also think that the the recognition that they can give and certainly the visibility that they can give to stories that are underserved is is incredibly important. Can you talk a little bit about the fact that that it has been something that we haven't seen appreciated in the way that I certainly think it should be? Yeah. It's so hard because you never know if it's like a snub, if it's like ignorance, fear, hatred, if it's like changing tastes and mandates, like, oh, trans isn't hot right now. Now we want to talk about this underrepresented group. And then next year it'll be that underrepresented group or we'll be going back to this thing or maybe trans will be hot again or who knows what. You know, there's so many ways to be cynical about the industry and its mandates and its, you know, reward and compensation systems and recognition systems. But um, seeing through the noise of that, I would say, first of all, Trace is an incredible actor and 
should be recognized for her body of work, not just Monica, but Monica sure. is definitely like the tiara on top of <laughs> all of it right now. And I'm, and I hope and know there will be more for her. Um, so if people haven't gotten the chance to see Monica, you should see Monica because Trace's work in it is astounding. Um, what I will say is that trans people, in, at least in my business, are no strangers to feeling underappreciated and unrecognized for our work. Um, we are out here because we love our craft and we love telling stories. We also believe in the power of changing the world through the work that we do. And we know that we are shifting culture in a way that is not necessarily going to celebrate us um, as much as, you know, <laughs> maybe we deserve, um, but, um, but that we are creating these interventions. And I really call them that because we really are shifting culture in a way that like disrupts toxicity and allows for new possibility. And, and Trace, like I said, has done that in everything that she's, she's put out um, in her music and in her acting. But yeah, it's, um, it can be, it can, it can feel a little thankless sometimes. And that's when I'll say that things like messages, DMs, tweets, whatever, like those things really matter. Like they really help when you hear from the fans and you, or you hear from a trans kid somewhere or a parent of a trans kid somewhere and you get these messages that like this really saved me or changed me or helped me, then it's like, okay, I didn't get the award nomination, but I'm hearing from real people <laughs> that I made their lives better. Yeah. That's, that's pretty great. And I know that Trace is getting that. And I hope she gets a lot more of that. I hope she gets the awards and the cash and the jobs and God For willing, sure. me too. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes, I want all yes. that too. But in the meantime, what makes me able to get back up and go back to work when I don't get the nod, you know, when I don't get the, the acclaim is the satisfaction in knowing that I'm really changing the world, yeah. you know, like, even if it is one life at a time. And oftentimes it's much more than that, you know? Yeah. That's something I can say. And like, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not saving lives in a traditional way, but I am fully aware by the feedback that I get from the people who engage with the things that I create, that I'm making the world a better place for them. And that matters. And so I would say, if Trace has made the world a better place for you, you should let her know because not enough people are letting her know. And yeah. I'll take some of that too. If you want to send it my way, it's always yeah. nice. <laughs> <laughs> what, what could be more quantum leap than that? Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Cause it was something that I was interested in, in, in hearing and, and um, I really appreciate it. And, you yeah. know, for, for, for what it's worth, I, like I said, I mean, you've had an impact on me personally and, and I'm grateful for that. And um, like the, like the sign says, you, yeah. you are magic, you are magic. Yeah. So thank you. Um, Thanks, Sam. And um, what, at the risk of, of being reductive, because I feel like the answer yeah. to this exists throughout the last hour plus of conversation we've had, but uh, it's a question I've started asking people. Um, what inspires you? I am inspired by 
I'm inspired by the possibility of becoming the person I've always dreamed of being. And so I chase that dream a lot because the person I always dreamed of being is someone who helps save the world. And so, yeah, and has a good time doing it. You know what I mean? And so the inspiration is sort of built into the whole project because it's like, I want to be someone who's inspired so and who inspires others. So in order to do that, I have to keep doing that. And then it helps feed itself to keep going, I guess. <laughs> I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. I, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. It reminds me of that, yeah. um, that David Bowie quote, um, uh, getting older is the uh, extraordinary process whereby you become the person you always should have been. Um, or, or we're always meant to be something like that. Yeah. Uh, God bless him. Okay, great. I love that. Yes, David right? Bowie. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, well, Shakina, thank you so, so much. I really, really can't tell you how much. Thank uh, you, Sam. I, I'm just so thrilled to, to be able to have this conversation, to have you on the show again, um, to see your work again. I can't wait to see more. Um, thank you, Dame. <laughs> whether it's quantum leap or not, um, you know, whatever, whatever you're working on. Um, that's one of the things that I'm so grateful for this show, uh, too, is the fact that I feel like, you know, I, I mean, I want the show to last 10 years, but, uh, whenever, uh, uh that happens, I, I will certainly be following everyone that's working on it because I, I just feel like there's been so much wonderful work and, and, and thank you for being a part of that. And thank you for coming on today to talk about, uh, the family treasure. For sure, Sam. Thanks for having me. Such a great time with you. Awesome. Thank you. All right, fellow travelers, I'm going to get out of here, but thank you so much for listening. Um, make sure you're watching Quantum Leap, streaming Quantum Leap, and, you know, write those comments. Send those comments to Shakina. Send those comments to, to Trace. Send those comments to NBC, to, to, to the network, to anyone that's working on this show. Tell them um, what you think of it and tell them uh, how much it's meant to you because I know it definitely means a lot to me. But in the meantime, take care of yourselves. Take care of one another. Stay safe out there and always, always leap responsibly.